from the team at CTS, this is the Train Right Podcast, our show for endurance athletes who want to learn how to train more effectively and improve their performance. I'm Coach Adam Pulford, your host for the cycling edition of the show, where it's my job to interview top coaches, scientists, experts, and athletes in the world of cycling to bring you actionable training tips that you can apply to your own training. Make sure to also listen in on our running edition of the show with my co-host, Hillary Allen, which alternates weekly with the cycling episodes. Now, let's dive into the show and learn how you can train right. This episode of the Train Right Podcast is brought to you by Stages Cycling, the industry leader in accurate, reliable, and proven power meters and training devices. Stages Cycling offers the widest range of power meter makes and models to fit any bike, any drivetrain, and any rider. They're all manufactured in their Boulder, Colorado facility, and they've expanded their offerings to include the Stages Dash line of innovative and intuitive GPS cycling computers, covering a full range of training and workout-specific features to make your workouts go as smooth as possible. And now Stages is applying its decade of indoor cycling studio expertise with the new Stages Bike Smart Trainer. Check it all out at www.stagescycling.com. This episode of the Trainwright Podcast is brought to you by the CTS Trainwright Membership. The Trainwright Membership helps you get the most out of your limited training time so that you can improve your performance and achieve your athletic goals. With the membership, you get access to science-based training plans, an 800-plus workout library, and an app to track your progress, along with advice from professional coaches via an online private form. Go to trainwright.com backslash membership to learn where to start and use code TRAINRIGHT for a free 14-day trial. Again, that's code TRAINRIGHT in all capital letters for a free 14-day trial. Well, Tim, last time you and I were dialoguing, we were in Watopia, I think, doing some sweet spot intervals. And uh, as I joined a, a ride with you and Rebecca Rush, doing some training. And so um, I wanted to welcome you back to the podcast. But before we do, I, I want to ask you a question before we get into this podcast. Here. Shoot. Okay. Was that actually you riding and doing the coaching, like motivational stuff during that Zwift session? Yeah, no, that's so funny. People ask me that all the time. It, it is a question I get. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 cool, right? We we have this great base camp program. We're out there training with the community. And part of it is I, like Rebecca, are training along right along with them. But I got to tell you, Adam, it's become, it's like it might be new training science now because like <laughs> my, my threshold has gone up because I'm riding kind of hard. We were doing sweet spot stuff that day. Yeah, and I'm yeah. doing talk to text, ongoing, coaching people and motivating and explaining what we're doing. I swear yeah. it's been a positive training effect. I might be on a Zwift secret where you just ride your bike a lot on Zwift kind of hard and do a lot of talking and you'll get much faster. It's kind of funny. I, I think that's it. And, and folks, man, I, I was like going for it and I was like trying to reply and be like funny to, to Tim and Rebecca and stuff. And, I, and I'm, I just, I couldn't get it out. And I'm like, Tim, how the heck are you doing this? He's like, oh, we do voice stick. And then I tried that. I was, I was terrible at that. I, I don't know. I, I, then I was like, Kevin Williams is riding Tim's talking on like hanging on the couch. <laughs> yeah. No, a lot of people think that. No, I, I train right <laughs> alongside. I, you know, the funny thing is though, once you pop, when you're doing that, you pop. <laughs> so it is a little dangerous. You got to be careful about the intensity. 
Well, nonetheless, I'm I'm impressed by your uh, coaching of, uh, abilities on and off the bike, Tim. So, um, for those who don't know Tim, uh, Tim Cusick has been on the the Trainwreck podcast before, and um, we'll we'll make a, a couple comments in the landing page to bring you back to his first episode. But he's back for round two. And Tim, for those who don't know you, could you just do a, a quick intro for who you are and what you do? Sure. Well, uh, I always I have the luxury of wearing kind of two different types of hats. Uh, I am the head coach at JoinBaseCamp.com and Velocious Endurance Coaching. So, and I've been coaching for I don't know, getting close to twenty years now. Um, I've had some the luxury of working with some pretty amazing athletes like Rebecca Rush, who you just mentioned, and and former world champion and Olympian Amber Neben, people like that. So, I definitely you know have been fortunate to work with some of the best athletes out there. And then on the other side, I wear a software hat. I am the Training Peaks WKO product leader. And along with my partner, Kevin Williams, who you just mentioned, uh, we lead the development of the WKO analytics software. So for me, it's kind of an excellent blend of, you know, I'm a practitioner, I'm coaching and, you know, high touch, all the experience that all the other coaches are going through. But I also have the luxury of seeing and working with a lot of performance data, training data and information, which um, I find both pretty interesting. They keep me busy. <laughs> busy indeed trying to track you down from the, uh, the all the webinars, wind tunnels and, and coaching that you do. This was a little more challenging to do. So thank you for taking the time to do it. Tim. Sure. No problem. Yeah. And, and to that end, as I'm working with Tim, um, on some of those analytic things and sharing ideas, we, we both had the same sentiments that there's a lot of confusion out there in the endurance community in terms of what is uh, good training, what thing that you should do all of the time. And then what's, what's happening is athletes and, and coaches alike, they'll read a thing or watch a thing and then they'll change their whole approach like halfway halfway through the season or midway through the midway through the stream. And that's, that can be dangerous. So the goal for this episode is to get Tim on and start talking about some of the very basics, the basic concepts of training that I mentioned in the previous podcast, and then start to apply it into what training actually looks like. So, um, Tim, should we just get right into this thing? Yeah, jump in. I'm ready to roll. All right. So I want to start with Periodization, periodization and planning. Could you give our audience an overview of what periodization is? Sure. Periodization is really simple. And I think it's important that one, thanks for bringing up this topic. I think it's great to just go back and look at these general principles and make sure we understand them in a very simplified way. I think what we have going on in, in kind of our endurance sport industry right now is more information and data and stuff is flooding in. There's almost like an overcomplication going on. So I appreciate you doing this, uh, and I think it'll be helpful. So when you think about periodization, let's keep it simple. Periodization is just a system of planning and training. And it's a, you know, it's a system that just breaks that down into, you know, breaks down a larger goal into a bunch of smaller phases. And that's it. You know, when you think about periodization, it really is that simple. It's a planning system that delivers through a series of phases, a process of putting together training and executing that with an athlete. Very simple. Very simple. So how do you use a periodization 
plan or process with an athlete that you're working with? So, you know, periodization has been around for a while. It kind of comes from the weight training world. I'm sure everybody kind of knows that. And, and, and Eastern Bloc, Russia, you know, it depends on who you give credit for starting it. But as we've adapted to it to endurance training, the reality is at its most basic principle, it allows us to take this big macro phase, right? This macro cycle, let's call that a season, a year, right? And it allows us to break it down into smaller, more manageable phases. And the general principle of periodization is that we start with a generalized approach towards training. And as we move forward through the phases, we become more specific. So it's basically creating a roadmap to where you want to go with this athlete. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's the roadmap that defines the season. But, you know, I think it's important to think about it this way, too. The athlete has defined the, the, the destination. They're like, hey, coach, I want to go here, a national championship, uh, just crush everybody in my local group ride, you know, whatever their goal is, they define that goal. And then the mm-hmm. periodized plan is the roadmap of not only how they will get there, but when they should arrive. Like, when is that point where they're going to get there? Because you as the coach, you're using periodized planning to kind of organize your thinking but to also time your thinking. So the athlete is on their peak, has their best performance when they want it. The timing is critical and there's some, there's some art along with the science that goes into that, but let's, let's save that one for another episode. I think. Absolutely. (laughs) That's a a longer one. Yeah. So in, in terms of how to use periodization, I mean, what are, what are, if you could break it down to like three variables, three aspects, like what are those three things that go into creating a periodized plan? Wow. Great question. Okay. Um, first off, when we say periodized plan, right? Periodized plan or the idea of periodization, that's just a construct. That's a scheduling system. It's not a process of training. You know, it's this idea that we're moving through these phases, general to specific, but it's not like, wow, what is training within this construct, it's neutral. Like training load is neutral. It's just a neutral scheduler. So to bring it to life, to give it relevancy or to make it effective, you have to then have a process within that periodization. And I think that means when it comes down to all training, right, you're manipulating two slash three major uh, parts and elements. So first off, you're manipulating volume. And then you're also manipulating intensity. So when you think about the volume manipulation in your process of training, that's just simply the quantity of work that you do. And that will actually, uh, you know, that actually drives the depth of your adaptation. There's a certain amount of reality that if you want a lot of adaptation, you're going to need a fair amount of work. Then we manipulate intensity. Intensity is the quality of work we do. And that intensity, that quality of work we do, that really defines that adaptation. So volume drives the depth, intensity defines the adaptation. But also in that, when we think about those two, we need to manage something. You know, we're manipulating volume and intensity, but we also need to manage rest and recovery. So one of the things I know, if I say, wow, your coach's job is to manage volume and intensity, that 
doesn't mean we're always doing volume and intensity. Zero volume and zero intensity also play a role. So let's just know that as we implement volume and intensity, we also have to manage both in an acute fashion and a chronic fashion, rest and recovery, because you need that rest and recovery to allow for the expected adaptations from that volume and intensity manipulation. Now, if you could put those things, those three, volume and intensity and rest and recovery, just to make sure it doesn't get forgotten, into some type of a pattern and system, that's where you're really talking about the process of training. And there are systems of that that people typically refer to as training modalities. And I think it's your ability to manage volume and intensity and rest into and as part of training modalities applied into a scheduling system like periodization that produces results. Very simple, straightforward. And I love the fact that you mentioned the rest and recovery aspect because in the previous episode, I did talk about Hans Selye's general adaptation syndrome in the equation of stress plus rest equals adaptation. And I think as, as coaches, as content creators, as, as athletes, we're, we focus and put a lot and talk a lot about the stress, meaning the training, and we forget about the rest component oftentimes. Absolutely. You know, I tell all my athletes, like one of the things I'm going to teach you about is you have gas. <laughs> I noticed you avoided the acronym, but that's just a great way to get them thinking about it, right? General adaptive syndrome. I mean, you're going you're gonna to say, Here's, here you, I'm going to give you gas. And the reality is that is understanding that there is load and rest required to adapt. There you heard it, folks. Uh, gas is a good thing. You need more gas in your, in your life. <laughs> Coach, Coach Tim says so. Yeah, your one takeaway from our podcast is you need gas. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. All right. Well, it, probably a lot of athletes are like, oh man, that's, that's great news. There's people scrolling around right now through the internet. What is gas? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So let's recap that real quick. So volume, the depth of training. I really like that. That's a great way of, of describing that. Intensity is the quality uh, that the of, of the work that the athlete does. And then the training modality. I want to I want to talk more about that training modality and really drill deep on that. But if we could z maybe zoom out and then zoom in on volume and intensity, looking at it, as you said, from a macro application or, and then a micro application, big picture, little picture, what, what are some of these, like, what's the depth of training or what is a volume of training example that you would Got give? It. All right, so we talk about volume first, and it's really great to separate these out, even though in reality, mm -hmm. you're, you're, you're mixing them back together as part of a training prescription, but it's right. really helpful to understand that they each play a role. Um, as a matter of fact, that it's really important. So in volume, right, it really is the, the quantity or the depth of training that you're doing, and it will drive the amount of adaptation. But you have to think about it that overall, when we say volume, um, really just in its simplest sense, you're talking about how much do you train and how much work are you doing? But there's a macro and a micro application to that. So in a macro application, you're talking about forms of progressive overload, training over years, building training um, maturity and progressive tr training maturity. 
So if you think about what I mean, you know, you have a younger athlete coming into the mix and they, they're just getting into an endurance sport. And this is true for any endurance sport. You don't just say, wow, I want this athlete to be a star. We're going to do the maximum amount of volume I think they can absolutely handle, you know, and you're going to take volume and you're going to think at that younger athlete. Younger could just be new to the sport. And you're going to say, wow, over two to three to four years, here's going to be some application, the macro application of volume that's going to allow me to progress this athlete in a way that lets them get better year in and year out, manages their chronic fatigue well, meaning not pushing them too hard and getting in trouble. But then there's also, and probably the place we're more familiar with the term volume or working with volume is the micro application. And that's when we think about some form of applying progressive overload to our training formats, right? I'm going to ride three hours today and three and a half hours tomorrow or whatever that volume, you know, estimate, whatever that volume progression that you have going. So volume has a macro application over the years, your total seasonal volume, your big picture volume, and it has a micro application, you as a coach prescribing it, or you as an athlete self-prescribing it. How are you going to progress your volume load in relationship to intensity and rest to uh, achieve the results that you want? Right. And I guess, I mean, we could think of intensity like that as well in terms of having a, a bigger scale view as well as the the daily or weekly uh, application. Absolutely right. So we get into a can- intensity, this idea, the quality of the work that we do. Remember, intensity is going to define the adaptation. So intensity can be a lot of things It's almost, and it's more complex than volume. Volume is like how much, right? And that's pretty easy. I can look at duration of a ride, duration of a week, duration of a year and get there. When we start to talk about intensity, here's where we're talking about specificity. Here's where as the the coach practitioner is prescribing, applying a specific target of intensity and a specific time at intensity. And this can be viewed in a macro and a micro sense. In the macro sense, where I think it's really important that people look at this in their season planning, you have a time and zone distribution thinking. And that's a very important part of the coaching skill of of manipulating volume and intensity. And time and zone distribution needs to not only be specific, And there's different types of specific, meaning you could be specific because you're trying to improve an athlete limiter, or you could be specific because they have a big goal of change or or rising to an event and they need it specific about the event. But the reality is time and zone distribution is really important to manage. So, and that's your big picture. You could look at like, wow, how many sweet spot intervals could this athlete do last year? What was their total time in sweet spot? What was their total time at, at, let's, you know, using a zone name, a VO2 max or anaerobic capacity. But then you have the micro application, which is kind of a little easier to think about. Man, that athlete's doing five times three minutes. That's 15 minutes of applied intensity at a target somewhere over threshold. So I think you have to have that same approach. But there's more art in the intensity application because that will define the type of adaptation, you know, the specific uh, prescription, right? The said principle, right? When you apply a specific intensity, you're going to get a specific response and you're going to get some other uh, cost 
some other changes in in the, in response to that. Yeah, that's it. And and I've got a couple Deanisms again in, in my head right now, Tim. And, and for those who don't know Dean Golich, he's he, he tends to get in your brain and linger there. But well, one of the things that he always says um, is, as soon as you start to go hard, that's when everything changes. Right? Yes. And that's the specificity that you're talking about. Uh, in a, you know, in addition to that, he'd always say, you know, practice makes perfect. Practice makes perfect. He goes, careful. Practice makes permanent. So again, looking at what you're doing, is that what you want to do? Is that the specificity that you want the athlete to be pursuing? Right. Now, that's a great point. And all specificity comes with a cost. You raise one area of your power duration relationship, chances are you might be reducing another. So you really need to, you need the science and the art when it comes to the management of intensity. It's a very uh, important area of the manipulation and creating that training. Well, so speaking of organizing the intensity, let's let's talk more about training modality. Uh, in one of your webinars, or probably all of your webinars, <laughs> uh, you, you speak of the rhythm of training, and I and I and I've been using that term a lot, or stealing it a lot from you, Tim. Um, for those, but been telling that to my athletes is this is where we define the rhythm of the training. Could you talk more about um, what you mean by rhythm of training, and then can we talk about some different training modalities? Sure. Yeah, no, it is something I preach a lot and you're absolutely welcome to use it because I certainly stole it from other people, probably even from Dean. Um, In reality, though, when I say like when you talk about training modality, let's define it. And then actually it's kind of I guess we can go back and forth a little. But training modality is the rhythm of pattern, the rhythm or pattern of you applying that manipulation of volume intensity to the schedule. When do you work hard? When do you go easy? When do you rest, right? And that, to me, it's so crucial that coaches focus on that hard, easy rest pattern because that truly is where improvement and gains come over time. I mean, think about it this way, right? All of us could lay on the couch for six months and and do nothing, jump up, and for the next three or four weeks, just randomly ride our bikes, you know, accelerate a little or run, run hard a little, run easy a lot and whatever. And you'll get faster. You'll get fitter for a couple of weeks, maybe even as many as six or seven or eight weeks. But at that given point, you won't. Because if you don't have the ability to apply a rhythm and, you know, a specific pattern of that manipulation of volume and intensity, an athlete will stagnate or plateau pretty quickly. And I think as I watch this industry of coaches, and and look, there's a lot better coaches than me out there in the world and a lot of smarter people, so I only know what I know. I think people have gotten so focused on the utilization, so drilled down on like individual pieces of data and, and individual secret training and workouts and this one solution. I think if they would just pull back out and pay more attention to that rhythm and pattern, and ensure that not only are they applying a good rhythm or pattern, a training modality, but then measuring if their athlete is adapting to that, which is really important. You don't want to just apply it for the sake of applying it. I think a lot of coaches would find better results looking at that level versus maybe drilling down and searching for that perfect intensity, that perfect workout, that perfect training mode. Yeah. And and to that end, I've... I harp on my athletes quite a bit with this is 
because we'll talk about metrics and, and, and fancy graphs and charts and people are super into it. And I, and I take pause and I say, hey, look, none of this matters unless you're sleeping properly. And then none, none of this tra- training matters unless you do it. Okay. So first, let's get your sleep. Let's get your recovery. Then let's actually do the training. Then we can nerd out on some charts and graphs. Cool. Great. Let's go do the session. I think that's a, a great starting point, you know, and then if you can apply those sessions in a really great pattern that triggers their adaptation, it's game over. That's all you really need, right? Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's talk about, um, let's talk about some of the patterns or perhaps patterns of training. Are we talking about like going hard on hard days, easy on easy, or should we define hard and easy and what that means? You know, I think I think you should talk about what's hard and easy because I think yep. there's a lot of confusion out there about what's hard and what's easy. Um, so, okay, let's when we start thinking about training modality, right? It really is that you know we're going to end up talking about polarized and pyramidal and threshold and and high volume, low volume, all these different modalities. But in the end of the day, we're applying these modalities to impact physiological systems meaning we're attempting to to apply a specific pattern of training that is you know a mix of volume and intensity to manipulate a response but to understand that right as coaches we tend to prescribe in more complex training zones anywhere systems out there of 5 to 9 i even saw a system of 10 training zones the other day right mm-hmm. and that's important as coaches cuz there's a fair amount of specificity we need in the application of uh, and the communication of training and training intensity targets and things like that but in reality from a physiological sense again we're better off just boiling it down and simplifying it into the three zone system and one of the things that i thought or I believe has been really healthy as people are talking about training modalities again. And I think high intensity training kind of brought this up and then polarized training as that became popular and the, and the powers behind that did an excellent job of explaining what it was and getting people to think about it. I think we are now relooking at the three zone model of understanding impact on physiology. So in a three zone model, you basically have three zones, right? But two individual <laughs> markers that separate those. Right. So, and this gets a little complex. You have different thresholds. You have, let's if we were talking about lactate, right? You have lactate one and lactate two, as you know. If you're talking about mm-hmm. ventilatory thresholds, you have VT1 and VT2. Um, the reality is for simple, let's call, call them first threshold and second threshold. Because I want to avoid the argument is the VT1 the same exact as the LT1 and the argument of is LT2 the same exact as FTP. The reality is there's a lot of ways to to cut that up, but let's just keep it simple. So when we think about that three-zone system, the top of that three-zone system is that first threshold, which generally, you know, is your VT1 or VT2, but first threshold. Meaning the the most intense of the easiest system. That's that first line that you're talking Correct. about. Correct. The top of zone yeah. one, the most intense of that easiest zone is your first threshold or LT1 or VT1. The top of the zone two, the next most intensive, the next harder system is your VT2 or LT2 or FTP, which we will now refer to as your second threshold, 
right? That is the top of that zone two. And then simply put, anything over that threshold two, over your FTP, that's zone three. So those are your three zones. You basically have zone one below your first threshold, zone two between first and second threshold, and zone three, anything over. That's it. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So you mentioned functional threshold power, which a lot of us listening uh, here, I hopefully understand, or at least have heard of. Um, And another element that I think a lot of people hear or say is VO2 max. So could you give some grounding in where like FTP and VO2 would lie in the three zone system? All right. So let's start with FTP because FTP is a a transitional, a metabolic transitional event. It's where, you know, you no longer can sustain your maximal lactate or your maximal aerobic steady state. It aligns very well with your maximal lactate steady state and your LT2. That can be argued at times, so I'm going to avoid that argument. But generally, I'll tell you a secret. LT2, VT2, maximal lactate steady state, and FTP, if one changes, they all change. They'll change in general precision with each other about 98, 99% of the time. So it really doesn't matter. We can use that as a, a a marker for that, you know threshold, second threshold. So if you're talking about FTP as the basis, so zone one, the top end of zone one is about, and these are all approximates because this isn't a perfect estimate world, but it's about 75% of threshold. I would say in general, anywhere from 70 to 75 with 75% being the top of that zone one. And then the top of zone two is 100%. It is that FTP, right? So Mm -hmm. zone one is up to 75%. It's not zero, by the way, but I'll talk about that in VO2 max. Um, it's up to 75%. Zone two is 75 to 100%. And zone three is 100% plus. Got it. Okay. Now, when you start talking about VO2 max, which is probably actually a better and more concise way to describe it, if you have access and understanding, and, and if you're modeling or being tested in a lab. So... The top end of zone one, actually, zone one has a bottom. I think this gets lost a lot when we talk about riding very easy, right? And the bottom of zone one is best defined with VO2 max. It's about 50% of your VO2 max is the bottom of zone one. And the top of zone one is about 65% of your VO2 max. Wait, so like all my coasting and descending and all that kind of stuff, that's not zone one training? No. (laughs) (laughs) It might be fun. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually get that a lot. People are like, see, I I have a lot of zone one. It's like, actually, no, you don't. You're just hanging out. Exactly. I remove that (laughs) out of your training. (laughs) (laughs) People appreciate it. So you have that 50 to 65% of power at VO2 max is zone one, the easiest zone. Then is zone two, right? That's 65 to about 90% of power at VO2 max. Mm -hmm. And then anything over 90% of power at VO2 max is zone three. And those are very rough estimates. There's a lot of variables in here. You know, it'd be a great point to make it this way. When we start talking about training zones, this even in a three-zone model, and we have these transitional points, zone one becomes zone two, becomes zone three. Because we want to 
No, like we want to make it very tangible. We apply a single number to it. It's not a single number. It's a fuzzy line. It's not a clear toggle black and white line where if you do one more watt, you've flipped over to zone two. It's a fuzzy, hazy transitional area, right? It's just not, your body just doesn't work that way. It, it isn't a series of toggle switches on or off. It's a phase and transition. So even though I'm giving a specific number, I'd be more comfortable saying each one of those is a range around that percentage I just gave. And it's not exact in that way. And it's not even the same every day. There are some other factors that could impact that a little. So just know those aren't exact black and white lines. They're fuzzy transitional areas. And how I describe this to my athletes when they're like, man, I felt great today. And I felt right at you know, the top of the range and I could have done more and all this. I go, yeah, awesome. That's, that's being a human, right? Yes. Like we, we have ranges just on our days. Sometimes we show up to work and we, we feel like a 10 out of 10 other days. It's like a two, right? So sometimes we, we come up to the bike and we feel like an eight, right? Other days we feel like a one and I just want to go home. And so, and there's so many things that go on with that, including sleep and depletion, and mood and caffeine. And I mean, whatever else, but like there's ranges within human physiology and there's ranges within being a human being. And this is why it's not just one number. You know, absolutely, Adam. And I would add one more thing to that. Your fitness also impacts those ranges. Yeah. And I think people get lost in that. When I say 65% of power at VO2 max, if you go out and ride a lot of time in zone one, right? Or you're doing a lot of time at right. 62% of VO2 max, there's a point where you're going to become 70%. That threshold becomes 70% of VO2 max. So understand that your fitness also plays a role in these generalized approaches. So it is very hard to pin down. It is, it is just a fuzzy transitional area. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now that we've defined intensity or, or in these zones in particular, we can then start to organize the intensity into rhythms of training. And is that what we're kind of referring to as modality training modalities? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, that is, to me, they're the same thing. It's like, I say rhythm because I think yeah. modality sounds like really fancy. Like, oh, I wish I had a modality. Super <laughs> fancy. Rhythm yep. keeps it simple. What is the pattern of application of training load? So are there like are there some common rhythms out there that you're seeing and what do we call those? Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's not like this is some unique idea to me. I think a lot of people have been out there helping talk about and, and, and enlighten people with simple, you know, or modalities or rhythms. So like most common one, high volume, low intensity, H V L I T, right? That's kind of the mm -hmm. one that started it all. You know, you were training in the old days over in Europe and you just rode your bike a really, really lot of kilometers. <laughs> you know, LSD. You, just, you just spent a lot of time on the old bike, right? And, and right, that's, right. that was the first modality. It really was. At that yep. point, at that phase of training, a lot of people were saying, this is the way we do it. This is how we're going to pattern our training. Today we go long. Guess what we're doing tomorrow? Yep. Tomorrow we go long. <laughs> the day after that, we're going long. And that was the pattern. Long, long, long. A lot of work, mm -hmm. but lower intensities until it became time to race. <laughs> then you kind of, you know, it's funny and there's others. Uh, you have um, low volume, high intensity training. So the reverse, LVHIT. Mm -hmm. To me, high intensity training or, you know, high intensity interval approaches, 
I think that really got people in the dialogue of trying to figure out pattern. Maybe because of some of the negative effects, and I'm not being negative any one system, they're all tools in the toolbox. But I think a lot of people jumped right into HI, you know, low volume, high intensity training without great guidance, and they kind of burned themselves out pretty quickly. Um, and I think that got people thinking about this pattern, this rhythm. What well, was the training wrong, or was I just doing too much of it? Was it too many days in a cycle? Was it not applied correctly? And I think that really opened people's eyes. And as a matter of fact, then I think Siler came along and talked about polarized training. And I think that really helped part the clouds for people, mm-hmm. which I think one of the yep. biggest impacts uh, of bringing that polarized system to the forefront was again to get people to think about the rhythm. So polarized is one. And I think that was a breakthrough one, not, th- not that these ideas hadn't been discussed, but really brought it into the public eye. And there what it did, and, and high-intensity training did the same, it kind of educated the athlete enough to really start asking questions of the coaches, right, where they were actually beginning to discuss in a common language format a training modality or a rhythm. Now, I think when Polarize first came out, there was a couple of things that were presented incorrectly, which have been corrected. So we had some fallout from that one too. But I think, you know, it was really great and did and well presented and really helped people understand the idea of rhythm. Gotcha. Are there more? Yeah. And I think two of them were kind of fell victim. Like two other ones that I just know I end up talking about all the time are pyramidal and threshold. And for a short amount of time, those two modalities became the victim of polarized training. And they became sort of like opposites or, 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 or enemies, right? Maybe they were frenemies more, but it was one or the other. <laughs> but they were certainly the victims. As everyone first looked at polarized training, to some degree in the public way, it demonized some of these other modalities. And I mm-hmm. think now, as it's really been brought into the awareness, people are really understanding there's more to it than just this works and this doesn't, good, bad. You know, I think we're understanding how to use these tools in the toolbox better than ever. Gotcha. So of the high volume, low intensity, low volume, high intensity, polarized, pyramidal, and threshold, let's just, let's take that handful. Are there commonalities commonalities that you see in these modalities? Yes. Try to say that. I know, right? (laughs) Makes for a good podcast. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, there are, and there's more, as you say. So, but those are a good core group to focus on. Yep. They're purposeful, meaning they are part of that roadmap to the athlete's destination. And through research and people, uh, you know, bringing these modalities to the public and, and, and stuff like that. We're understanding that they each have a purpose. Now, of course, the end purpose um, is to, you know, what's the end purpose of a training modality, of all training? We want the athlete to get to the highest possible performance for the least amount of work, right? Because the reality is we want them to be fresh enough to adapt and perform and race when that time. So that's what we want. That's common throughout all of these modalities in one form or another, they all can or their purpose built to support that end goal. I think gotcha. Sorry, I think the second thing that confuses mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. is that they all are about session 
application rhythm. It's not about time in a zone or time in zone distribution. Like I should be going hard X percent of the time of every moment I'm on a bike or going easy on X percent of time you know, I'm on a bike. It talks about if I have a workout today, you know, that is a hard or an easy workout. Now, if I have a workout tomorrow, is that a hard or an easy workout? So they're built on the premise of workouts or sessions, not time and zone distribution. That's common throughout all of them. Got it. Got it. Well, let's let's clear up some of the confusion for say, let's say this handful of modalities for people. Let's, um, let's start with high volume, low intensity. So if we're talking about, uh, say sessions, like if, if I am in a, well, first, when would you use a high volume, low intensity session? And then how many workouts would follow that pattern? Do you want to walk through a few examples like that? So we can start to paint pictures of, of what this would look like for the listener? Sure. Um, so let's do it the way I said, when would I use, to me, uh, mm-hmm. high volume, low intensity training is an excellent way to begin uh, or end your transition period in a periodized plan and do your early base training to get, to use the kind of common terms. And remember, the idea of periodization is general to specific and it needs to be progressive meaning you have some progressive system of work that you need to do. But also, in my belief, it needs to be linear, meaning you need to design a periodized plan, that roadmap, right, in a way that allows for appropriate um, response, desired response, better than desired response, by building one system on top the other. And that doesn't mean mutually exclusive, like we're absolutely focused on one thing, but the general underlying principle as we apply modalities to an annualized or a periodized plan, we want to do so in a way that allows us to build one system on the next system on the next system. Because as we progress forward through that periodized plan from general to specific, we also want to carry forward the greatest fitness and performance with us we can that has a specific role. And that specific role is as I get later in my plan, I can work harder. I can do more. I can get in more intervals, higher quality of work and accomplish that. So I think you have to, you know, when we start talking about how to use modalities or the question you asked when you would place it, you have to understand that's my system. Others might have their own, but I, I want it to be progressive and I want it to be linear building on top of each other. So that makes sense. That makes sense. One question though, to to clear that up for the listeners, when you say you're going to layer or stack a system or build a system upon a system, what is the system that you're, or the systems that you're talking about? So usually in, in general, when I talk about it, I'm looking at a muscular metabolic approach and let's just take, and you can kind of go back to the three zone system, right? Your mm-hmm. ability to produce at the core, it's an aerobic sport and you need to build the aerobic system. And it's so funny, here's where you can go down a ton of paths, but that is both, you know, when we think about it metabolically, we say aerobic system and we think cardiovascular, you know, how much air can I get in there and utilize? And that's part of it. But also we have to think about how we use fuel in our system, how we create byproducts and deal with those byproducts in our system and other factors. So in a general term, we start aerobic. 
Then we move towards more of a, a lactate approach. But in simple terms, let's just say, then we evolve into the anaerobic system. And now we start thinking about how we make energy and how we produce power anaerobically. That's a little more broad and a little more complex. We get into the intensity discussion there. We get into lactate and some other factors and system transition. But it really is that simple evolution. That is what we're doing. Now, one other system that runs alongside with that, and it's hard to explain in a podcast to some degree, but you also have to think about neuromuscular manipulation in there. The athlete has to be able to make power. You can't just build capacity. So I can build your aerobic capacity. And once we get that really big, right, then we can start working on your anaerobic capacity and build that really big. But if we don't have elements of neuromuscular manipulation, whether that's strength building, um, power, lots of ways to look at that, you might not be able to make enough power to capitalize on that capacity. So you need to run those both in succession as you evolve through your periodized plan. Got it. So you're layering those systems with the end goal of making this athlete as durable as possible to handle the training to be able to perform the best they can. I call it training resiliency. Absolutely so important and a lost concept for another day. Um, Training resiliency though, the more resilient you make your athlete early by, by taking that capacity and power and making it like a beautiful love story and they meet in the end, um, (laughs) you really build a resilient athlete capable of really pushing a very intensive peak and performing at, you know, unbelievable levels. Well, well, let's, let's talk about the love story another day and let's, let's get back to our modalities. How about that? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. High volume, low intensity training is way more boring. (laughs) It it really is. It actually really is, but it's so important people. It is. Um, (laughs) It really is, you know, and people miss that. You you cannot, anything you build on top of not, not appropriately building your aerobic engine, which to me starts with high volume, low intensity training early in your base period, you're just building castles in the sky. Eventually it will fall. I was going to say castles in the sand, a tippy, tippy skyscraper on, you know, wobbly, swampy soil. I mean, all the analogies apply there. Yeah. So that's why I start with high volume, low intensity, old school. You know, yeah, we're going to get on the bike, and look, not everybody. What is a lot of time on the bike that differs. You know, everybody has a time limitation they have, but I don't believe you should ever skip this phase of annualized planning of a, a periodized plan. You need to start with a high volume, low intensity approach when it starts out, because I think the progression is important, and I think the foundation that that brings HVLIT brings. Uh, is important. Even if you have, you know, eight to 10 hours, even, you know, mm-hmm. little lower, maybe a little bit of it, maybe then I start changing my story, but you know, probably anything over eight, I think starting out with a high volume, low intensity training in a generalized principle is a pretty good starting point. Yep. Yep. So before we leave <clears throat> high volume, low intensity, and you're talking about the rhythm or the the work sessions, um, how many sessions would have this high volume approach and what would that rhythm look like in a early base phase of training? Great question. Um, in applying it to most people's schedule, I kind of work, let's talk about a week, right? A micro sure. cycle. Yeah. Cause it just makes it easy to imagine yep. for me. When I plan a training week, I, I have kind of like two rules. Rule number one is I plan 
what I don't have first. So let's say the athlete just cannot work out on Monday. So I put an X in that and they cannot work out on Friday, maybe. So I put an X in that and they can only do one hour on Wednesdays and Thursdays. So I write that down, right? So I know, I want to know what I don't have first, but then in, in my high volume, low intensity training phase, I then start out with the long day. And what I want is one long day, one medium long day, and the others can, I wouldn't call them short because we're in high volume, low intensity, but shorter days. So to me, I don't, I'd rather have the athlete get in a three to five hour day, uh, you know, once a week, than maybe two hours a week or two hours a day, just, you know, five or six times. I really want to get to that one long day a week. Now, I would add a caveat as I'm listening to myself. I still want mm-hmm. them to be consistent, meaning I would ra- – if you said, Tim, I can only train 10 hours a week, I'll give, I'd will i rather see you do two hours, five days a week. But if you could do that long day and give me the other four or five at two hours, I want the one long day because there's a lot of metabolic response we need in that longer ride that will give benefit above and beyond um, just two hours a day. Perfect. You just answered the questions that I had in my head that I was like, please clarify on the long and the cost benefit behind being consistent. Okay. Excellent. <laughs> and I would progress that meaning if, if, and then I would try to maybe get a little extra time on Wednesday. So Sunday becomes my long day maybe, and, or maybe it's Saturday. And then Wednesday I can do, I try not to stack it all the time on the weekend, even though that's often the reality for most of us, but mm-hmm. you know, and then the other days are, are just kind of that mid range But what I want to do is then each week I'm progressing that, meaning I want a little more volume as either measured by duration, but for me, I'll use training stress score and I want to progress that. But progression is overall volume. And if we can, I try to progress that long day. Now, do you, do you instruct athletes to go solo on this ride with a ride with a friend <laughs> group ride? What's going are you going to get me in trouble? Um, <laughs> I figured I'd, I'd try. <laughs> it is really difficult to be disciplined in group riding. Um, yeah, that's why I bring it up. You know, if, if you have a group that's committed, cause you need to ride this in zone one, somewhere between 50 and 65% of your power at VO2 max, right? Somewhere between 65 and 75% of your, your functional threshold power, you know? So the reality is you need to be steady. And I think is two things happen when you get with friends, as you know, one, you tend to go too hard. And then two, you coast way too much, wasting a lot of time in your training. I would recommend if you really have a goal of improving, ride it solo as frequently as you can. Got it. Got it. So are you good moving from early base to mid base now? Yeah. I mean, this is a great way to talk about it. So for me, this might be like a standard road race approach because you also have to know, like if somebody came and said, I want to do 200 mile gravel race, I might say different. So this is a, you know, the thinking here is how do we take just like a a classic road racing approach? Because, you know, and, and I think that that's important too. I mean, anytime that you're creating any, if you're giving any sort of advice, it's really tricky because you have to make assumptions for a lot of things, which is why if you listen to any of Tim's webinars and whatnot, it's answering an individual question is, is almost uh, non-existent because there's just too many variables. So yeah, I'm glad you <laughs> provided that assumption, Tim, because it's, it's good to 
put some uh, put some boundaries on what we're talking about here. Yeah, but I also think it helps understand modalities because you might use modalities right. are tools, right? This idea of having a pattern yeah. and system are a tool to use in a plan. And understanding that, you know, each tool does a job and therefore it fits within the plan. It's not just one, or maybe it is just one, but the reality is you have these different approaches in your toolbox. You need to know how to use them. And then it's just about applying them and when you apply them. And that really comes back to the need for specificity. What is your athlete's big goal? You know, so all of that individual diagnostic is occurring somewhere else. You and I are just giving a generalized approach right now, but should give some good insight. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, general kind of road racer. Um, if we move from early to mid base, how does some of the modality change or intensities shift? So I shift modality. Um, and, and depending on their schedule and, and, uh, what they're doing, I tend to go to a pyramidal approach in let's call it mid to late base, Again, it can all be moved around. This is all a little fuzzy, but, and I'll evolve into a pyramidal approach at that point. So to me, it, the idea of pyramidal and the approach, which is pyramidal, the idea there is that unlike polarized, we, which I will do next. So we can talk about that next, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Pyramidal is, is this idea of about 70% of your workout sessions in zone one somewhere between 50 and 65% of your VO2 max, or I'm sorry, of your power at VO2 max. And 30% of the sessions in zone two, some occasional zone three work, you don't want to totally neglect that, but 30% of your sessions in zone two, which is that zone in between zone, uh, you know, in between your first threshold and your second threshold. Now in the polarized system, this is a no-go zone. And that's where a lot of confusion and problems can come up with. But I believe in the pyramidal system. And I think in this uh, mid to late base type of time frame, it's the best approach, what I would call an intensive aerobic approach towards evolving the athlete's linear system-based approach and building fitness as they prepare to actually go to polarized training later in the periodized plan. But Tim, I read on an article online that tempo is the silent killer. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, it's funny. One of the things I think that happens online so much is everything gets painted into this good or bad, right or wrong. Mm-hmm. It's binary. It's not binary, right? These are tools. Um, I have a screwdriver in my toolbox. And the other day I spent like an hour trying to bash in a nail with it and it wouldn't work. <laughs> I couldn't get the nail in the wall. Well, the reality is if you don't understand the tool and you can't use it, it's easy to say, oh, it's broken. My screwdriver doesn't work. I can't nail in the nail. What happened here, right? And I think you have to step back. People mistake pyramidal and threshold training all the time. Pyramidal is the application of 70-30. And that is a lot of tempo in sweet spot. Sweet spot is just high tempo. Don't you know? overthink that. And an excellent tool for building fitness and foundation. Tempo is not the science silent killer. Doing tempo every day, not having a good pattern or rhythm, i.e. modality, that's right? It. That's when anything can become bad. So tempo is bad. If you go out and ride two hours of tempo seven days a week, you'll get faster for a 
about, I don't know, three to six weeks, pick your poison. And then you're going to go right down the other side of that hill <laughs> as the fatigue builds up. And the reality is you can't contain. But on the same side, you do need some tempo. You analyze road races. You analyze gravel races. The athlete spends a lot of time making tempo power. If you ignore that zone because you read online that tempo is the silent killer, you're going to struggle when it comes down to that moment when you're making the break and the break is sitting at tempo for 45 minutes and you're going to be like, wow, I just can't hold this, you know, and you get spit out the back. You've got to have a certain amount of specificity in there, but how you apply it is key. Yep. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that analogy up because that's, I wanted to, to bring that scenario up because the people who don't, or the people who think that tempo is the silent killer, they get your, themselves into that situation. They make the break, they start grinding. Maybe there's a group of four or whatever, and they don't have the durability or the resilience no. to keep up that high aerobic effort. And so when people say, oh, the pros are doing polarized only pull. No, they ride a crap ton of tempo too. Correct. Okay. Because it's a specificity that is needed in all racing scenarios. And I do think that people are overlooking, missing, and getting really confused if they don't understand that. I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, because the idea of threshold, like this this threshold approach, right? Threshold modality kind of emerges. Let's go out and do sweet spot five days a week, seven days a week got a bad rap and it should get a bad rap. That would yeah. not bring about good results. And if somebody chose threshold modality as defined by 60 or 70% of your sessions being at threshold or, or just below, that probably isn't a sustainable uh, training paradigm. You're going to fail. Right. Now, the proper application of tempo in a good pattern, 70-30, Maybe, you know, 75, 25, you guys can play with it a little bit, maybe 65, 35, but in that general pattern, that's where we're using the tool in the toolbox correctly. And that's why exactly why we should be thinking about modalities so that we can understand there's ways to apply to manipulate volume and intensity, because that's what we're talking about right now, you and I, right? The manipulation of volume intensity to prepare the athlete for something. But if we can't put that manipulation in a modality, in a pattern, in a rhythm schedule, it would hurt them. But as soon as we take that same manipulation of volume and intensity and put it in the right and correct pattern and rhythm, they thrive and benefit from it. That's why the modality right there is important. Yeah, that that's it 100%. And the last thing I'll say, say about this and in, in kind of the wiggle room or the, the, the fuzziness of it is <clears throat> there's also athlete phenotype or how you produce your power, make your power. And for somebody who maybe they're not great at tempo, like sprinters, for example, if they go out and they start on the high end of that, they're like, Ooh, I'm getting cooked out. Just bring it down a, a little bit, bring down the, the time and zone, bring down that, that total time that you're spending there and build yourself up in that regard. So there's some trial and error that goes on with like who you actually are as an athlete too. Am I, am I right in saying that? Dude, you're so right. And I see athletes because they over-focus on that one. They can't just uh, temper that one workout. They blow the pattern. 
right? Because it's like, oh, I just have got to hit this number today. It's got to be. And this goes back to that black and white interpretation. But then they they fatigue out or they've done something. And after a then they can't sustain a good, sustainable rhythm. In the end of the day, right, all of your training success is built on the consistency of your training. Consistency and, you know, is the bottom foundation for me of, of superior training, right? And then right on top of that is rhythm but they work together. But if you can't, you know, if you're chasing all these kind of oddities and beliefs and, and, or if you can't mo- correctly modulate that individual workout, I would much rather have you fail in a workout and get back to your rhythm than die trying to succeed the workout, just hit the numbers, but then not be able to get or stay in your rhythm. You know, I'd much rather, I don't want to see that. I'd rather have you just Shut her down. I'd much rather say, hey, I just couldn't do that today. I shut it down and I'm going to just reassume my training rhythm. Yeah. And we will get to polarized here in one second. But one thing I just made note of is um, Tim talks about self-determined training (laughs) uh, goals throughout the week. I call them the weekly focus. And it is something that I tell my athlete either verbally or put it on training peaks so that they are equipped to make changes on the fly if they need to. Can you speak to that, Tim, and like how you do that and what that means? Uh, kudos to you. Super smart. What a, a great coaching tool, right? So athletes go out on the road and you have a defined training, and particularly in today's world. You load your training to your Garmin and it's little squares, right? And, and ups and downs and blocks and all those things. And it starts beeping at you and you're like, oh, I hit this number and I got to do exactly this. I'll tell you right now, I don't want my athletes using that much perfect structure. As a matter of fact, I would never tell I hate them. The beeps yeah, I was like, don't even, you know. But I have, as you said, it's called, and we're going to use all the acronyms here, my SDT, um, which is my self-determined training, where I am giving the an athlete saying, look, during this cycle, if you're having a really good day, here's how I want you to behave. Here's how I want you to execute capturing that. Meaning if I'm having a great day and I'm so structured in the sense of, man, I have all this extra energy. I feel like that 10, as you were talking about before, I'm really just rocking it today, but I can't break the structure and you go home, you've left some training on the table. So I tell my athlete, if you have that great day, here's what you add. And that might be time in a zone. It might be some additional intensity, but I, I always have it. And it's not a specific like do an extra interval it's a rule it's a theory it's knowledge i want the athlete to be listening to their body and making good training decisions so i don't say go out and do exactly this i'll say oh you're feeling great and you're doing sweet spot right now well, if you're feeling that great don't go harder i want you to add two minutes to each interval four minutes go a little longer sustain it longer because that's what we're focusing on right now that type yeah. of self-determined training with a little bit of coach guidance. Yeah. And that, and that helps bring a, awareness to the athlete, which for me really is, is one of the end goals as well, because the, 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 the more I can equip them and the more knowledge I can give them, the more confident they are out on the road, whether it's a training situation or racing situation or whew, I'm cooked, I need to go home. And they're, they're confident in that. Great point. I'll steal that one from you. 
Excellent. A lot of stealing going on. I like it. Um, let's call it sharing. Yeah, it's so, much, okay. it's so much better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So polarized training. Let's talk about that. That is a big one. Tim, what the heck is polarized training modality? So for me through my period, I mean, it's funny that it's kind of my first blush. So we go high volume to pyramid, but then when it comes time to peak, I want to use polarized. And I do find that polarized is really good for peaking, particularly if you've done your high volume and your pyramidal well, because the systems will stack. They'll build on top of each other and you'll have a very resilient and ready to train athlete that can take a lot of hard work on the hard days. So once we get to that point, what is polarized training? 80-20 is a great and simple way to describe it in the way that most people mentally associate it. But when we talk about polarized, you've got to remember they're talking about 80-20 is the number of sessions, the number of workouts. So 80% of your workouts are in zone one. 20% of your workouts are in zone three. And as a matter of fact, high up, like (laughs) hard, really hard kind of zone three work. So the reality is that's why they're polarized. You're spending a lot of your workout sessions riding easy, somewhere between 50 and 65% of your power at VO2 max. And then you're spending 20% of your sessions doing workouts that include some time above 90% of your power at VO2 max. Okay. So to, to clarify 80% of the sessions, 20% of the sessions. So if I've got, if I train five days a week, how many sessions am I going full tilt? Well, if you follow the 80, 20 version of polarized, it's, it's -hmm. just math, right? That's one hard session. One. That's it. Okay. That's pretty simple. Though. Yeah. 80, 20. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, so we're not talking about the, like the distribution or time in zone. We're talking about sessions, right? Yeah. Really great point, Adam. And I think it's so important that people understand that. And I can tell you that's probably the number one as the, the training peaks WKO uh, leader hat. I get that question all the time. I want a report that shows you me, my time at 90%, uh, above 90% of VO2 max power at VO2 max. Right. Like, why? Well, I'm polarized training. And I'm like, ah, that's not quite what it means. <laughs> so I have to explain that all the time. If you looked at your time and zone distribution of 80-20 executed by sessions, probably 90 to 95% of your time is in zone one. And 10, probably more like 5% of your time is in zone three. The training distribution, the actual power distribution is significantly less than the session distribution, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm glad to clarify that because I think that is, it's a common thing that I hear from say my athletes. It's, it's a common thing I hear from online coaching forums and, and webinars and Q and a, and all this kind of stuff. And I, you know, if, if you, if you think you're polarized training, look at your data, <laughs> see if you actually are. <laughs> it's WKO five has, has some great methods to do that too, by the way, soft plug. Thank you. No, it's, uh, <laughs> no, it's interesting. And it is where understanding that and you can't, but the reality is it's a prescription to uh, a compliance relationship. I think, and this is for me as a coach, like when I apply 80, 20, 
And sometimes I might be more polarized. I might be more 70-30 at times. Like I'll do a little more hard work. It depends on the depth and the athlete's maturity and where they're at, but never mm-hmm. really more than that. So there's a little wiggle room in there. You got to find what works with you and your athlete. Not much, but a little. But you, you know, at that time of the year, the feedback I always get from my athletes, I want to go hard mm-hmm. more. <laughs> you know, They literally want more. And it's like, I want to use those hard sessions. I think when you look at polarized, the other mistake people make is they don't run the periodized plan like the, the whatever you want to call it, base and build phases or the base and, and, and early build phases. They don't execute that well. They don't build an athlete that they're really ready for peak training. They don't have the resiliency. They don't have the durability that, that you were mentioning earlier. So they get into this polarized session, right? This time frame to peak, and they can't really do the hard. They can't access that power. They might've built some capacity, but they don't really have the power. So when you polarize train, the hard days really need to be hard. And if, you know, it's funny, I joke with one of my athletes, I know when it's hard enough when they don't ask for another hard day. <laughs> Meaning, you know, I want to make sure you're leaving that hard day. Like that's good for about five more days. I'm happy with that, <laughs> you know, and they're not looking for more. If they're looking for more, you know, they're racehorses, right? A lot of the athletes, they want the best, but still that hard day has got to be that kind of hard for you to make it work right. Yeah. And if it's, it's like this, this feathering of the needle and I know exactly what you're talking about. Cause it's like, okay. And oftentimes I think it's confirmation that you layered properly. If they're say, if they're like, Oh, I want to go, I want to have another harder day, but then they do the hard day and like, okay, maybe I don't. But then it's like a couple days of zone one and they're like, okay, I'm ready to go. And then they do it. It's like, <laughs> so it's, it's that balancing. That's why we call it polarized. And that's exactly that's what you want, right? Yeah. No, that's yeah, a great sure. example. If I'm getting that kind of feedback yeah. from my athlete, I'm like, cool, we're delivering, you know, what we want to do here. We are getting, you know, we're going to, we're going to hopefully get the desired adaptation from the stress and strain we're introducing. So, you know, the reality is the other thing I see in polarized, right? And I think this is important for you and I to talk about. Polarized training is an excellent way to drive a peak. But in reality is if it's well executed exactly as you just said it, most of the benefit the athlete will get will come in the first three to five weeks. Then they will slow significantly in their improvement rate. And if you keep polarizing at that heavy intensity level beyond, I don't know, eight weeks, maybe 10, you'll get into a situation of, of stagnation and decline. You go back to gas, your you know, type of thinking, the person is moving into the exhaustion phase in that modality and it will stop paying off. It'll stop paying returns. That's one of the downside I had with polarized when it first came out because people were all polarized all year long. And I think that led to a fair amount of training stagnation. And I think that was a misconception. I don't think that was what it meant when it came out, (laughs) that you should just be polarized all year long. As a matter of fact, if people would listen carefully, um, you know, uh, Siler was saying that that's not what he meant. He was observing people who trained and they did a fair amount of volume, but, you know, and they progressed into this scenario. But I think what happens in the internet today, we see this solution and we go black and white, right? We go all in, it's binary. I'm either polarized or nothing else. And I think 
now that it's been there for a while and, you know, as a modality and the education on it has improved. And there's actually been some really good studies showing that polarized and pyramidal training have the same results, which to me, it reinforces the fact that it's more about the rhythm back to understanding modality, right? Not, not pounding in the nail with a screwdriver. Um, that I think really is the takeaway lesson and understanding there is a, a time and place for everything. And polarized is an excellent way to drive that peak, but you got to go really hard when it's time to go hard and you can't mess around, meaning don't go hard. You know, when you go easy, you're supposed to go easy, be disciplined. But that reality is after about eight weeks of that, you usually get into a point of diminishing returns has been my observation. Yeah. Uh, same thing here. And I think it's just to simplify it. It is, if you always do one thing, you'll always kind of be that same way, right? And the, 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 call it the plateau, call it the staleness, call it the whatever. And whether it is just, you know, tempo all the time, threshold all the time, polarized all the time, at some point, the lack of variety in an athlete's training will lead to a demise. Couldn't agree more. And that's why I think you think about all these modalities, right? They're tools in your toolbox because we need change. The human body is an adaptation machine and it's adapting to everything you do. Anytime you apply stress, the body goes under strain and it's going to adapt. Whatever that stress is, it's going to adapt. And that adaptation isn't always good, but that is the process, right? So you, as the body adapts, you need to have change because it, what adaptation is, a, is a return to homeostasis. And if the stimuli that you're applying is no longer knocking that body off that homeostasis, you don't get what's known as a, a, an adaptive signal. Well, you don't get a strong adaptive signal. So your ability to use modalities and intensity and volume and all these things we've talked about to also have a pattern but not always the same pattern. So, okay, you want to give the body about, I don't know, eight, maybe, maybe a little more, maybe 12 to get used to one pattern. And that's probably the, the body's probably then a pretty adapted to that pattern. So change the pattern, change the, that's where different modalities can really be an effective part of a periodized annual plan. Variety is the spice of life, Tim. Now we're back to our love story. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and that's that's uh, you know, and it, it's a principle in training that people don't tend to think it about is. much. Progression is way yeah. easier to think about, right, than variety. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's really great you brought that up. Yeah, well, Tim, I'd like to summarize because we have gotten over this uh, hour time frame, but it's been wonderful. Um, but if I could summarize, I mean, just in simple terms. Periodization is a neutral construct that we use to organize training modalities, a variety of training modalities to layer training to make an athlete more resistant or durable in order to get a desired end outcome, i.e. performance. Is that what we're saying here? It's a pretty good overview. Okay. Well, if, if the listeners fell asleep while we were talking and I don't know why they would because we were fascinating in my opinion. Um, what, what is the number one takeaway that you would want each listener to uh, take away from this episode? You know, it's funny. I, I, it's a great question. And I had to think about it for a while. And I know you and I actually had this discussion the other day, so I'll, I'll use it. In a sure. presentation talking about, I was doing for, for WKO, I was talking about these like periodized plan. I was talking about this whole idea of annualized and periodized planning and executing. And I was 
mentioning training modalities and different things. And I had a slide prepared because I knew I would get the question because I get it all the time. Somebody asked me, which one is best? And my slide, I had a picture of Rome, right? And I said, well, all roads can lead to Rome. And I think for me, the takeaway that I hope people take away is there might be some some bad answers. There might be some great answers, but it's really important that we don't just jump on the bandwagon of whatever the, the new popular idea is, right? Learn and understand, build the tools in your toolbox, understand that it's not about, it's not binary. All of these training modalities, different systems of training, you know, different process, they all can work. Well, I shouldn't say all of them. <laughs> a fair amount of them work, but you as yeah. the practitioner, you got to understand that you can put them all together. You can put your map together in a lot of ways and get to Rome. Um, don't get locked in like, oh, wow, high, high intensity training is the new thing. I'm only going to do that. Oh, wait, now polarized training is a new thing. I'm only going to do that. Learn and build your toolbox. That's what I hope people take away. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, Tim, if, if, um, if people like what you said and they want, they want more Tim, how would, how would they find you? Social media, website, what, what should we steer them for? Um, you could always find us at, uh, I have two websites, veloscioucyclingadventures.com. That's our coaching and training and travel company. Um, and joinbasecamp.com. That was, uh, that's our online training, uh, group training, community training that Adam was part of that kicked off this podcast. So you can always join us there. Um, you just picture me sweating and fumbling my phone, trying to like yell into it, into Tim and be like five minutes behind the ball. So that's, that's what, and which was fantastic. I encourage everyone to get on some base camp training. Dude, it was, uh, it, it's taken me three years to master all those skills. So <laughs> one workout just isn't enough. You need some periodized training. I apparently I do. <laughs> Excellent, Tim. Well, thank you again for joining us on the Train Right podcast. Uh, I, I always have a ton of fun chatting with you and learning with you. So I, I hope our listeners experience the same. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us this week on the Train Right podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure to visit our website at trainright.com forward slash podcast where you can find social links, bonus content, and more about CTS. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast so you'll never miss a show and leave us a rating on iTunes. Until next time, train hard, train smart, train right.